Imagine if you could just make people enjoy fitnessing as much as we do. Mm -hmm. Like that's the biggest benefit that coaches have is that we just like going to the gym. All right, lifting weights is our fun activity. Some people, their fun activity is hiking. They don't like going to the gym. If we could figure out how they could just enjoy going and doing whatever it is, let them enjoy the thing. Welcome to the Strength Connection Podcast, a show to share stories, insights, and experiences in strength, physically, mentally, and spiritually. I'm Michael Krukowski, host of the Strength Connection, and I'm so grateful that you can join me today. So in these episodes, I connect with some of the most inspiring and successful individuals to chop it up and learn from true life experiences that have helped them become who they are, the strongest versions of themselves. One of the greatest ways I've always learned the most important lessons is through stories. We all have them and they make us who we are. So let's dive in. Here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Strength Connection. Clifton Harsky, thanks for joining me today, man. I'm grateful to have you. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. Yeah. So this is going to be good. As I said, like I've, I've followed the work that you've done for a while with the, the FKT and the work that you've done with MoveNet, but this is the first time I got a chance to really dive in and uh, chat with you. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. It'll be fun. Yeah, man. So to kick it off, I mean, you've been in a lot of different modalities of the work with MoveNet, Animal Flow, really getting into the kettlebell world, a lot of athletics. How did this really all start for you? Did Were you like early on in athletics or how did you kind of first find like the strength training world? Wanting to dunk on people. Boom. So, so I played basketball growing up, volleyball. I grew up around the world. Both my parents were athletes. My dad played college ball. My mom was a dancer. So I got athletic genes, wanted to do well with it, but as a naturally skinny, graduated six foot one, 158 pounds, you know, if I wanted to be better on the basketball court, I needed to be stronger, more explosive because I could get pushed around when you're mm-hmm. that skinny. So it, it really stemmed from wanting to dunk on people and then just grew into kind of having a, a great interest in being like borderline creepy in the gym, looking at people working out and be like, Oh, that's how that works. And mm-hmm. it's like avert your eyes, sir. That's going to get you arrested. Right. <laughs> and and that's it. And, and so I've always been explorative with what I want to do. And, and the training has always had the North star is, does it make me feel more athletic on the basketball court, volleyball, or whatever else I happen to be doing? And that, that's always been my test. And it's, it's a tough one because it's somewhat qualitative, of course, yeah. like short of going through a combine type of situation. But even those don't measure reactivity and and problem solving and and skill work as much as they are mm-hmm. memorizing how to do one thing. Okay. So did you have the natural ability for hops already? Or was it something that just early on you always wanted to be like, I want to like get I want to get a highlight poster one day? No, I I I've been a good jumper mm-hmm. for the longest time. Now I should say like out of my brothers, there's four of us and I'm the best jumper. And I mm-hmm. think it's because They didn't necessarily do all the same sports as I did. And Mm -hmm. I grew up with more trampolining, more play outside. I'm older than them before video games. And so I was more active. I was building those characteristics and qualities throughout my youth more so than they were. And it's not like they weren't active. It's just that I was certainly more active. And so I, I was able to dunk a tennis ball, volleyball every so often as like a sophomore, junior in in high school. Okay. 5'11", 6 foot. And I mean, my, but my best dunks were at 35. 
uh, you know, post knee surgery and mm-hmm. after I've learned quite a bit of how to maybe get a little more juice out of things. Uh-huh. It's interesting. It's uh, I mean, I grew up playing basketball. My father was a great uh, basketball player. I usually was more of a perimeter type guy, but I, I dunked a softball once when I was a junior in high school. I don't know what it was on that day that came in, but just went up and just, you know, got it over. And there, it, it is a, interesting feeling when you find when you actually do that you know one time so it's it's an easy thing that can completely change your thoughts on athletics and want to just continuously pursue that a hundred percent you know i've done polls i've seen polls as far as like an athletic thing to be able to do dunking in basketball seems to be up there as the peak of coolness and you know if you what would you rather do pr your deadlift or be able to dunk cool i think dunking cool is way cooler and uh, that's that's been my yearly thing. I just turned 41 three months ago, and I was still able to 360 dunk. And uh, wow, yeah, yeah, pretty excited about it. I'm still riding that high because everything else is a low. Yeah. <laughs> so early on, when you were uh, being kind of like the peeping Tom early in the gym to try to figure this stuff out, what was the early days of training like for you? Did you follow more of like a traditional path, or how did that approach? So that would have been, uh, you know, 90, 96, 97, 98, 99. Those are my high school years. And that's mm-hmm. muscle and fitness and men's fitness magazines doing body part split workouts. That's, mm-hmm. that's what a lot of the strength coach in high school had us doing. And then Juco basketball, my first year I played junior college, the program had us doing a body part split with a linear periodization model over the summer where it went from, you know, endurance to strength to power. And it's comical because it's like, well, are we really doing power for this like buys and tries day? (laughs) But that's what it was following. And Mm. I ran through that, that style probably up until about 20, uh, 20, 2000 and I don't know, three or four, at which point the, the functional fitness modes of training with med balls and balance balls and cables and bands, et cetera. My instructors at San Diego state university, they happen to be some of the people that wrote the ACE personal training book, Mm. which leaned at that point into the functional training bit quite a bit. And I leaned into that, not, not so much that it was like circus tricks, but like really enjoying multi-directional movement, sure, yeah. um, accelerative type activities versus just strict strength training. And that's kind of why I, I laid my flag, if you will. But I was a manager at Trader Joe's. I wasn't training people at that point. Um, right. I, I, I used to say at all the certifications and workshops I teach, I had the best start to a fitness career that you could have. I wasn't in it. I was a consumer of it. Right. Yeah. And I got to try multiple styles and get, you know, experience firsthand what that made me feel like on the basketball court, what it did to my physique. And then eventually in 2007 or eight, when I was like, okay, I'm going to do this professionally. Mm-hmm. Then I had this experience to pull from, which is uh, to your original thing. Like I've done a lot of different modalities. Yeah. Like I, everything has something to offer. And mm-hmm. it's sort of like, if you're a carpenter, you, you probably are a better carpenter with more tools than if you just have one hammer. And right. so much of our industry are these people that have one hammer, one lens that they operate under, mm-hmm. and they they can't help a lot of people because they don't have other options. All they can do is try to force feed this one thing. It, it's interesting because 
you know, sometimes you see you, you learn a tool or you learn a modality and you do see some benefits right off the bat from it. So you just double down on that. And there is something to really understanding the basics and doing that, but it can also seem like it pigeonhole you and get you closed-minded right off the bat. If you don't see that there's a lot of different tools out there that you can grab, you maybe not need to use them all the time, but it's probably still a really good idea to look at them and to explore them. Cause if you do need them at some point to have that tool readily available, you're going to be able to help a lot more people. Absolutely. And, and to be frank, like it's the tool less about the tool. I think if you're limited to tools that actually can improve your creativity in mm -hmm. like, I have to problem solve how to create this adaptation I want with this tool. It's more the singular systems or education that is a problem when people are like, this is how you do this thing. And then mm. they, they lack the ability to lateralize their thinking and be like, well, I could also accomplish it by doing this, or I could use this tool that this system teaches with for other things than the four things it says I'm allowed to do. Gotcha. Okay. That's a, yeah, no, that's an interesting point of, the tool is just a tool. You can be really creative with it. It's the dogmatic work and kind of the closed mindedness can come when you only focus on one particular philosophy of training or system of yep. training. So use one tool and use a lot of different uh, schools of thought in one thing. And that's going to expand you a lot more. Absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting. When, when you got like early on in like the traditional strength training work didn't align with you as well, but did you see some results from that early on? Yeah, you. I think that no matter what you do, you're going to see some sort of results. I do think that the individual benefit per person may vary from system to system. Mm -hmm. But like, if if I do a bodybuilding program, the results are bodybuilding hypertrophy based. Yeah. And so, if I do that program expecting my basketball to improve, I'm the asshole because that's a silly expectation. Mm -hmm. But if I go in thinking, oh yeah, my pecs, delts, biceps are bigger now, like it was a, an objective uh, success given what the outcome of that training style should be. And so, you know, a lot of times we try to make our training styles out to be the thing that will be beneficial for multiple items. And that's just right. not the case. A lot of times we, we make concession based decisions when we do training modalities in that if we really want to prioritize one quality type of outcome some sort mm -hmm. of adaptation it is to an extent at the expense of other qualities and other adaptations because we can only do so much stuff in a week in a, in a month right yeah no it's, it's i think it's thomas soul's famous quote there's no solutions there's only trade-offs it's like there's always going to be a trade-off of something in there and like you said like yeah if you want to do like a split based program it's going to give you the results that that program does give to you whether that's what you want from there <laughs> you know that's in your own mindset so that's where i could see so your focus was on the athletic work how can i jump higher and i can dunk on people you know wherever i am at any point that's it. You know, mm -hmm. that, that, and that qualitative aspect, it's funny. You get, you hear a lot of um, SNC nerds talk about like, you can't ask the athletes, you know, is it better for them? Cause a lot of athletes, they prefer the functional training and the balance stuff. And the reason for it is it feels athletic. Oh, weird. Right. <laughs> right? And, and then they feel like looser and, and better 
And people dismiss it as, oh, that's just their feelings. It's not quantitatively anything. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like if they feel better and perform better, then that is very much uh, a good thing. Their their SNC measurements may or may not have uh, any benefit to their performance on the basketball court, soccer field, paintball, whatever it happens to be that they do. Mm-hmm. And, and so I don't really care. Now it's somewhat comical for me to talk about it because I don't actually train athletes all the time. Like I've very much found this, this little niche, if you will, mm-hmm. of, I want people to feel more athletic. Yeah. So I, so ironically, I look at training as my sport these days. And the reason for that is I can't go play five on five because I don't trust nine other adults to play basketball with that. They're not going to undercut me or yep. under me. <laughs> they're just, it's hard to find. You have to find people that are, that have enough body awareness, control and understanding. Like this game doesn't matter. Like I'm going to give effort, but I'm not going to hurt you because I don't right. really care if I win. And so the, this big, I think it, honestly, it's like six months ago, we really categorized this nicely in, in a future program that we're going to be putting out mm-hmm. in 2025. How's that for planning? Mm-hmm. We have a characteristic with humans that we think is important to train is athleticism. And when we say that, we don't mean go play a sport willy nilly because it's that's basically irresponsible for me to tell mm-hmm. Betty that hasn't worked out in 10 years. I'm like, Betty, go play intramural soccer. Right. Yeah. She's going to absolutely tear an ACL or an Achilles, right? Like if she's an adult. Right. And and the gym should be a safe place. And it means that we can set up opportunities to express athleticism and athleticism. it, It lives on a spectrum. You've got singular quality athleticisms like endurance. Right. That's riding a bike for a long ass time uh, or strength. That's powerlifting or explosiveness, like Olympic weightlifting. Right. Mm -hmm. Then the more reactive or reflexive it is to me, the more athletic it is. Like if you compare Devin Hester returning a Mm -hmm. kickoff and trying to be murdered by 11 giants freak show athletes, that's more athletic than a hundred meter sprint to me. You have to, you have more things to manage. And that's honestly my definition, which is the more shit you got to manage, the more athletic it is. Right. Uh, now, up to a point, like at a certain point, you become a, a clown show circus person. But really, the more stuff you have to manage, the more athletic. And that's my gym way of explaining what it is mm-hmm. I'm trying to do with people. Just give them the opportunity to express change of direction, uh, rotation, uh, reactivity, being soft, hard, back and forth, partially tense. So, you know, in sport, mm-hmm. you need to be stiff up here and loose over here versus uh, stiff everywhere right yeah training that's interesting i think that's such an important distinction uh of athleticism because a lot of times if you just say you want to be athletic oftentimes people think going to play pickup sports and stuff where in reality no feeling athletic means in all different modalities this is where i mean i think crossfit does have a good benefit for many people on it because they have so many different modalities that you have to be at least like competent in like maybe you're not the best at it but you are doing a lot of different things i've talked to enough 
CrossFit athletes now that that is kind of the modality of it. Like there's strength component, but there's change of direction. There's a speed, there's an agility. And it is when you do, I've felt that before, when you do have all of those in a decent level, the feeling of that is incredible in your body. Joints usually feel better. Energy usually stays at a very constant level in there as well. And I learned that a lot from actually deloading a lot of weight in training. You know, I was always pushing more and more of like weights that I was using and actually going to sub-maximal loads and working on more kind of power, a little bit of change of direction. All of a sudden, those little things started to ignite a little bit more. Absolutely. I, I mean, there's there's an argument to be made when you go sub-max and change of direction, explosive type stuff. You you not only are just training your muscles, but you're also cha- training the neurological system more so, which is probably excitatory and beneficial, but you're also going to tap into the fascial system a little bit. My, I, I don't think anyone has a, a fantastic way of defining fascial fitness. Yeah. We, we know it's there. Mm-hmm. It probably does something. It connects a bunch of stuff. It does have some elastic properties. So I, when I talk fascial fitness, I just mean like it has more of a stretch rebound effect Mm -hmm. and probably like an elastic, like an elasticity. Exactly. Like rubber bandy. Yes. We have the stretch shortening of the muscle, but in the fascial system as well, especially when we start integrating rotation. And so I'll even delineate a muscular approach to exercises and a fascial approach to exercises. And the fascial looks like you're springy, bouncier people. Some people call them kangaroos or antelopes. And then the the muscular approach is like your gorilla, just being tough. And so often the training focuses on being a gorilla and maybe not being as antelope-y. Yeah. You know, it's funny. One of uh, my first uh, memories of that is growing up, one of my friends who played basketball and soccer uh this kid jordan he he was the first one that was like i could define as springy like every time he was out there like in uh, bass he wasn't a great basketball player but he could just change direction so quick so he could get away with his athleticism and it was the first time i saw that from like somebody in an athletic field and that was like oh like i want to do that like i want to train more like that And it is, it's powerful when you, when you see it, like you see the difference of somebody who's just got brute strength versus someone who has that elasticity and that flexibility and knows how to control it at the same time. Yeah. And so athleticism, it's just, it's really difficult to define because there's Mm -hmm. so many qualities play into it. And from a more traditional, we would look at a sport as the definition, right? Like, oh, that is athletic. I always laugh when they're like, Lance Armstrong, best athlete. I'm like, let me see him change direction and like jump and do yeah. something coordinated. So like for lower body, we say it's change of direction, it's change of speed, it's multiple directions and it's explosiveness. For upper body, we call it tool manipulation because mm. that's that's the swinging around bells, whether they right. be club or kettlebells, Olympic weightlifting, throwing things, being human means manipulating tools. So we think that's pretty good. And if you think about tool manipulation to an extent, that's even combat or wrestling. You're right. Right. Like to, to an extent it's that. So um, those are the two ways that we look at it when we're trying to define it within fitness. Right. So how, so going on that, like, how did you transition from you were at Trader Joe's for a bit, and then you wanted to make a career going into more the fitness realm? What was that? Take me down that track a little bit. What was the modalities that you started with? And then I know eventually you got into RKC training with the kettlebell work. What was that journey like at the beginning? So I was, 
I made a, in my final semester, I made a pros cons list of going management route in Trader Joe's and moving to Argentina and training people in the park and working at the Marine fitness base. Okay. Little and, contrast there. <laughs> yeah. Big one. Like my family was in Argentina. There's a lot of pretty girls there. Yep. So I was like, Ooh, this could That's be it. interesting. Yep. And then I got promoted. So I, I put my list, my name in the list to be promoted. And it had been like a six to 12 month wait. And I got promoted in a few weeks just because they they knew I have a pretty good work ethic and I can get stuff done. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, well, I guess that's the one I'm doing. And while I was at Trader Joe's, that did end up being a benefit because I was then a, a student, like I talked about, of so many different types, whether it be Pilates and yoga and RKC, uh, kettlebell gym, CrossFit gym, et cetera. I got to do all those things. So as I'm managing Trader Joe's, after a few years, I'm like, I still want to be training people. And I, I had been training other basketball players because I was the goofy six foot white guy with long hair, headband, tube socks, short shorts before they were cool and dunking in the gym. And so people are like, well, he must know something because this doesn't make sense. And so I was, I was training other basketball players for a number of years. And eventually I was like, well, let me start my own boot camp a few days a week. Mm. And well, the tools I need, let's go to Dick's Sporting Goods. I bought a medicine ball, some bands, a couple dumbbells. And then there's this kettlebell go fit 45 pound vinyl coated thick handle. I still have it. I have two of them. They're still my favorite kettlebell. (laughs) <laughs> Whether that's sentimental or the thick handle, or right. the, I just like the 20 kg is my favorite weight. I don't know. Probably all that together, but I started playing around with it. And at the beginning, it was like, you know, I, there wasn't Instagram at the time because this is 2009. Mm-hmm. It, there was some Facebook, but I wasn't in the fitness scene and social media. And so I was just kind of like lifting it and swinging it sideways with two sure. hands mm-hmm. and just playing around with it. Uh, what came intuitively. And then I got, I started looking into, I'm going to make this transition from Trader Joe's management to full-time personal training. I did a bunch of, int- I did an internship at Todd Durkin's Fitness Quest 10. I, I got my CrossFit cert. I got so many different damn certs yeah. that year. And one of them was RKC. And the other thing I did was I went as a participant to move Nat. And MoveNat was moved mm. naturally. I had, I had first read about it in Men's Health, a feature on Erwan. I was yep. like, this sounds awesome. And then just like destiny, if you will, Steve Maxwell came through my line at Trader Joe's in Point Luma and told me about this thing he had just done in West Virginia with Erwan. I went home, was like, oh, there's one ticket left, book. And that that's how that happened. So I... I went to move Nat, struck a, a nice interaction with or one. We connected pretty well. We had the same birthday. He's pretty mm-hmm. mystical. Um, that's probably why right. <laughs> came back, did my RKC. I'd been training with Franz leading up to that because I'd done the HKC and then took that money. Love that back. guy. Shout he, out to Franz. He's he's the best. And <laughs> I I was like, let me take this money from the HKC and just do five private sessions with Franz. So that way I go back into the RKC and mm-hmm. I should dominate it. And uh, I did. And then um, then I learned how to do everything correctly. And that whole year was interesting. I, it was actually a funny, funny year because I learned how to do so many things right. And I'm saying this somewhat sarcastically because I had had really good results with myself and other people not doing it right or perfect, as you will. Then I learned how to do it perfect. And then I started getting hurt. 
after I started chasing strength and doing everything perfectly. Now that that doesn't that's actually not fair because I was travel that took me to the next year when I was traveling every Friday, mm. Saturday, Sunday, teaching workshops around the country. So okay, more so than likely the, the stress the, the life the life load was a little different. A whole lot different, right? Like I also turned 30, so that's apparently a thing. <laughs> and but with that being said, and I I fight this battle every day. It sounds really dramatic, but I fight the battle to associate heavy strength training in a very sagittal bilateral, like limited way, associating that with injury, because every time I've been hurt, I've been focused on those things. And when I'm focused on those things, I'm doing less of the stuff that naturally makes me feel more athletic and good. Mm. Now, part of it could just be, I have brittle bitch bird bones and, uh, you know, my body being springy, is maybe just better suited for that other thing. So that when sure. I say I'm fighting a battle is a lot of people that would have been hurt a few times with these types of things would then go, this is bad for everybody. And I, I refuse to do that because I don't think that's the case. Like there's too many instances of it being great for people of barbell deadlifting, which I've heard right. that somehow I hurt my knee doing that form is perfect. I have it on video. It just got hurt. That's and- it. What, it's like a, like a sumo. Was it? It's a po- like the Pavel, not quite sumo, but like like kind of like the ru- like the Russian style. It's like yep, okay, yep. Mm-hmm. But I, like it, it, it was heavy, but it wasn't like so heavy that this should have happened. But right, with yeah. about fifteen degrees left of extension, it felt like a hammer hit me on the inside of my knee, mm-hmm. and it was five hundred pounds on there, and. And uh, I finished the lift, of course. And then course, I dropped it. It's like, oh man, son of a bitch. And I showered, went to the uh, Santa Fe airport, flew to San Francisco where I was teaching that or Pal- San Francisco. I was teaching Palo Alto. And by the yeah. time I got off the plane, I couldn't like straighten my leg. Mm. And it, it turned out I bruised the head of my femur, the articular cartilage that covers the femur. It died. It flaked off and they had to go in and vacuum it off. So I have a pothole, the head of my femur to this, you know, this day, cause they don't really grow back very well. Mm. And then I had the same thing happen. Uh, what would that would have been 2011? So nine years later, on the other knee, doing that stance. So I just don't train in that stance anymore. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's anyway. Moral story was, I, I, I went down the rabbit hole of like, let's go strengthy, strengthy, strengthy. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I've come all the way full circle after doing MoveNat, having more stuff exploring more animal flow, exploring, uh, starting my career at Fitwall, where I only had bands, body weight, TRX, and I had to get training effects with these tools. And then you start creating other ways to do it. And you're like, oh, well, I still am getting people very, very strong. They're getting fitter. They're getting leaner. They're feeling better. Clearly, mm-hmm. it's all about the overload, not the tool. And I can be creative with this. And, and that's where we're at now. Yeah. PPSC is just like, you've got a lot of options with how you do things. It is. It's interesting because I think strength is such a, a powerful modality. And, you know, I've gone through the systems. I love strong first principles. I've worked with them for a long time. And I think there's they're great in the system. But there is also sometimes the question of when is strength enough? Like, when are you strong enough? At the point, you know, Brett Jones has a great uh, quote. He's told me, he's like, I'm strong enough to hurt myself. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you, when you get to a point where you are pushing a load like that, and you know, whether that's, you know, a max type load or even somewhere like four or 500 pounds is four or 500 pounds all the time. If yeah. it's not the right position for you, that's when things can, 
you know, if you're only in that modality, that's when injuries can happen. And usually an injury with a 500 pound deadlift is not a small injury. Usually some things can really pop sometimes. So it is, I've, I've questioned that of like, how much strength do we really need? I think it's less than the SNC community thinks it is. And mm-hmm. the reason for that is we have an echo chamber within ourselves. It's impossible to not compare ourselves to each other. So even me just saying like, it wasn't that heavy. It's 500 pounds, like 500 pounds is objectively heavy. Yeah. It's 1%. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 1% and, people, yeah. But I know a lot of people that lift more than that. And so in my head, I'm, it's the same thing. I'm six foot one. I'm pretty tall compared to most people in my head. I'm still teeny tiny. Cause I grew up playing basketball and I was like small. So we, we're the product of our environment type, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times we have this close knit fitness. I call it the circle jerk community of like thinking that these 700 pounds is like, that's where I should be. And right. so no, no, actually that's, that's very outlierish. So mm-hmm. I think it's less. And the reason I think it's less is when you get heavier, your recovery needs go higher, which means you can't do as much other stuff. And then when you aren't doing the other stuff that gets some sort of detraining effect. And that other stuff is multi-direction it's cardio. It's, it's yada, yada, yada. It's like, whatever it is that you're not doing is mm-hmm. naturally going to go down. So if you want to keep building strength or cardio or mobility, whatever it is, it comes at the expense of other things and short of being paid or, or being very emotionally invested in a, a marginal increase in that one specific quality. That means it's actually a net negative in my head versus being well-rounded. Right. Well, yeah, probably because the more singular you get, and if you keep going down that that rabbit hole, you're going to get keep going stronger there, but you are going to get farther and farther away from the other thing. So like kind of talked about, there are trade-offs and the more you keep going down that road, probably the bigger the trade-offs are, you know, it's like, you know, you're not going to play pickup basketball if you're, sh- if you're probably searching for a 700 pound deadlift. A hundred percent. And yeah. And that's, you know, that brings up that golden question, golden question. I don't even know where that term comes from, but like the, what, that's why swings are great. What the hell effect, right? You can kind of keep doing them and they don't seem to take away from anything else. They, they are additive. They, they don't have quite as much specificity as some items do. Deadlifts are the same way up to a certain extent, in my opinion, it's like they're really good for everything up until the point where the only thing that seems to be working out is your back and traps and grip. Right. Yeah. Well, because everybody, especially with a barbell deadlift, because I mean, it you're going to get to a position where you're going to round at some point if you're going for a PR. So it's like, how deep do you want to go versus maybe switching to something like a trap bar or a yeah. kettlebell? I think that's why a kettlebell is such a great tool because you can only go really so heavy in a lot of things, like you can be super strong and play around with a 50, 60 pound kettlebell and it's going to smoke you if you're doing oh, yeah. the things, you know, from that versus loading up a max effort on a deadlift where the, you know, risk first reward, you know, ratio is going to get very minimal at that point. A hundred percent. So after, so did you start more exploring with a lot of the stuff that you do with the FKT? Now, did that a lot of that philosophy and that train of thought start coming after 2011 when injuries started to occur. And was it kind of a thought in your head of like, maybe there's a different approach that I can use with this bell? How did that start to take form? 
Well, because I had been playing around with the different stuff prior to going through RKC, I had already had it in my book. And a lot of it looked like little things like lift and chops with steps, like using the lower body to, to accelerate it up, coming back down, catching it with the acceleration into the through the eccentric. I remember at RKC being scolded for swinging in a kickstand stance because it, because I was told you can't generate power out of that. And I was like, have you ever seen someone run? But whatever, mm. like the, the, so I was, I was playing around with it, but I like to run certain programs. And I, I just, the reason I was chasing barbell stuff and heavier stuff was, I just wanted to see what would happen. Sure. And what happened is I broke, um, <laughs> again, not because of the barbell. I think it's like the totality of everything. So the, um, I was always playing around with it mo- largely because, I just don't, I, I've never really had a big, big drive to just keep going heavier on the same things that other people are. I prefer being imaginative, explorative, and doing what feels more athletic to me. And it's very hard to define that. It's just, it, but a good example would be in a kickstand swing, right? So if I do this where everything is square forward and back, and I'm trying to push through both hips together, which makes no sense in a kickstand stance right. or offset, but people do teach it that way. Trying to be no rotation versus letting the rotation happening happen where you kind of, it just, it feels smooth. It feels easy. It feels athletic. Right. That's, that's one of the things that people forget in talking about athleticism. If you're actually athletic, you want to be efficient with your movement. You don't necessarily want it to make it the hardest thing on earth. So we make things harder to drive an adaptation. So there's a place for that, but there's also a place for being smoother, more patient, more easy. And like a good example, we are talking athleticism, you and I, okay, we have a hard style swing, which is like shorter amortization phase, load explosively, go right back out versus a sports style swing, which is you swing and then you actually, so your knees bend, then you straighten your legs. As you get the backswing, you have a little bit of patience, let the bell start descending again, you scoop your knees and then you accelerate. So there's an an athletic piece there, a hundred percent, which is rhythm, timing, and patience versus, and like relaxedness, versus the harder style yeah right and and so they're both excellent yet here we are and this is what i meant by systems and arguments it's the same damn tool used two different ways for two different outputs two different training effects yet we talk about which one's right it's like they're both right It, it is interesting have you played around with a gs work like kind of gs style a lot so minimally yeah. because I've got zero interest in snatching for 10, <laughs> 10 minutes. That sounds, just, I, I'm the, I think maybe the reason I like doing all this different stuff sure. is it, it, it doesn't require me to work hard. I'm joking. Of course, <laughs> like I work hard. I know exactly where you're coming from, but holy shit that, that it's just miserable. I've, so I, 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 in August, I was playing with this, trying to run all the other kettlebell school tests simple and sinister the ikff level one and level two snatch tests etc etc because we were coming up with our own tests Uh, because i really think the testing is a cool way to drive community not because i think it's mandatory to be able to teach the stuff effectively but i think it's a really it's nice to have things to train for and 
I was like, look, I'm not going to just recreate what they have because I got to incorporate things that we're teaching. But let me see how I shape up to these IKFF stuff. And holy crap, some of their their tests, uh, I believe for level two, starts with double 20s for a gentleman or me, like a bro. Double jerks with double 20 kgs. You got to get 40 reps. And then you put one down and you do 100 snatches. Yeah. The jerks, I just couldn't do because I hadn't done that high reps in jerks Mm -hmm. before. The snatches is no big deal. Their level one was fine. That was a brutal one too. It takes like 13 minutes to complete. I can't remember off the top of my head, but. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, I didn't know much about GS work at all until I started having quite a few of them come on the podcast, you know, from yeah. this one and then the previous one and talking to guys like Bill Ash, Dennis Vasilov, who are master of sport top of the, I mean, Dennis Vasilov is like the Michael Jordan of the kettlebell sport world. And uh, the amount of volume and testing that they do, it's like, I was like, you know, I was just thinking, cause you know, you can get closed minded in what's worked so well for you in the past, but then you see a different type of programs like, well, they're getting some insane results of what they're doing in a short period. There's got to be something to this. Like you can't argue that oh, work. Exactly. And, and it, but you talked about like allowing that rotation, those things, it's like kind of allowing that minimal force. It's almost like, I mean, there's a difference between a sprinting and a marathon based work, and you can work both of them together. Mar- like a marathon runner, you're trying to use as minimal strength needed in every step to get there versus yep. a max effort. There's, there's application for both of them in there. It's just about what you're trying to accomplish and to feel more athletic in there. Yeah. Loosening up the tension on that and playing around with different positions, different staggerings of stances is going to probably give you a much different return in your athleticism. So it absolutely just totally makes sense. Well, and and like, so we use this spectrum, uh, the BA spectrum spectrum is the wrong word, but um, progression chart ba starts with be able to me that's hard style that's the basics okay yep. S- sagittal two hands re- resist rotation then it goes to be athletic manage more stuff oh if now manage rotation versus just oh i don't rotate uh then that pro- that progresses to be adaptable okay you can do this let me see you do it now with your feet wider or slightly offset or with your hand turned a different way and if you can't just like adapt these little teeny tiny asks, how good is your control actually, right? Because mm. like you can do it one way. And this is the thing I've seen. I haven't had very many sport kettlebellers come into FKT, right? Because to to me, that training very specifically for sport makes a ton of sense because you're going to go compete in it. Right. Yeah, there's an end goal. There's an end game there. Yeah, with hard style, if it's like general fitness, like I don't think you need to be quite as dogmatic. Um, to mm-hmm. be honest, I'm like, there's a lot of ways to to get it. Now, if you're really hyper focused on getting a heavier press, like training for the beast tamer, then yeah, you should just do right, it singular focus. It, yeah, mm-hmm. do it the way it's taught in our, in hard style or KC yeah. and SFG. I think that's the way to go. But Otherwise, like the be adaptable, the, the, I, I've been fortunate enough to see people that are very by the book and they have one hell of a time stepping just slightly adjacent to the way that they've done it. And that's a problem to me. Like that, that's actually like a legitimate issue. And 
it, it's there's a uh, it's similar to physical therapy, and I'm not a physical therapist, but mm-hmm. you're in a problem in the world or in your life if you can only pick something up off the floor in one way. If you move right. slightly differently and it hurts, that's similar to you can't accomplish the task. So I have this definition for moving well. It's doing shit on purpose. It's really technical, right? Like, can you decide to swing pure hinge a la the 2010 way it was taught in RKC as a pushback to the CrossFit squatty? Or right. can you decide to do it in an athletic swing, which is the 2015 and on way of teaching it because they realized that the pure hinge was actually irritating some people's backs and mm-hmm. not ideal? Can you decide to do it in a more vertical path bell? Because it's totally safe to do that. If you are teaching, you can do a hang snatch, but you say you can't do a vertical swing. You're talking out both sides of your mouth. It's the same thing. Uh, just, you know, doesn't turn over at the end. Right. So, you know, there's so much of what is taught in fitness is, is your identity is your brand. And I think a lot of that, it, I understand it. If you don't stand for anything, you kind of can't make a stand and, and stand for anything. But in a lot of ways, you know, people paint themselves into a corner because they have to be aware with their brand. I've been fortunate enough to talk with a lot of different presenters from a lot of different schools. I'm not just talking kettlebells here, but they're like, oh yeah, you could also do it that way. I just, I can't say that because I teach for X, Y, Z. And it's like, oh yeah. Okay. Noted. Noted. Right. Right. It's interesting. I really, I like the three-step process you have, like with the BA. It's interesting that last one of be adaptable, because my first thought when I was thinking of that is more of intuitive-based training, which can be very challenging if you're very set on a structure, you kind of have like, this is how I was taught and you want to be told more what to do, or this seems like it's a little bit more free reign, which for some people is freedom like that is a little bit nerve wracking. Is that what you've kind of seen too, Clifton around that time? Is it, is it tough for people around that because they're, they're used to more of a very rigid type structure? I just think there's two different types of people. There's the people that they want their program. They're going to follow their program and they're going to do it for three years, right? That that is a simple and sinister lover. Like this is the most simple thing of all time. I'm just going to do it. And I, and I, I gotta be clear. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. First mm-hmm. of all, I think that's great. Like you're improving your health metrics. You're getting stronger. You're being consistent. That's all fantastic. What I have a problem is that the person that likes that going, but the other way is stupid and bad. It's like, no, it's just different. Right. And so there's, we make fun in the industry. We make fun of people that crave variety. Well, they, mm-hmm. they crave variety because they enjoy variety. Right. right. They don't actually care about like, I think it sucks when somebody goes, if your only goal is general fitness, that's a lame goal. I'm like, that is one of the most boneheaded things I can hear <laughs> from. Like we have a huge health and fitness crisis yeah. in the country. You're a personal trainer who's theoretically is out to help people. And then you want to tell them that they that enjoying moving and exercise and just yeah. being generally fitter is a bad goal. Like you're an asshole. Yeah. And that's, that's where I have, if I, if I have a beef with any fitness company, it's when there's that elitist attitude that somehow their fitnessing hobby is more better 
than right. somebody else's fitnessing hobby when yeah. they're all equally lame or cool, depending on the eye of the beholder. Exactly. That's it's such a great point. I mean, we see this so much in nutrition too. Like nutrition oh, yeah. can replace like the religion for many people because you know, now that is one of the interesting things with social media platforms is you can find like-minded people who now share your beliefs. So it only ingrains it even more. And you can just hang out with those people that think very similar to you, uh, to you in that regard. But it is, it's interesting. Like if, if everybody just had that mindset of just improving their general fitness by dropping their BM, by dropping their, you know, just their BMI down by 10%, we would be such a different culture by just doing that. All this other stuff that's fun to talk about, but it's much more on the micro in it. Yeah. Oh my God. It would, it would change everybody, everybody in coaching. Like everybody would be getting coaches. It would completely change our entire industry. A hundred percent. I mean, just like support people's goals instead of the branding piece where it's like, and I, we find it all the time. Like it's very difficult for me to not, not come. I almost have to compare what we're doing with FKT with the known entities. I wish Mm -hmm. I didn't. I wish I could just say, learn the benefits, but because it's new, then people go, well, how does it compare to this? And I go, well, those are really great. You're going to do X, Y, Z. We're going to do X, Y, Z plus this other stuff. And I like that. I love the I love the variation aspects that you do with, I mean, seeing things like with chains, like with the, like the stepping patterns with the flows, which I've, I've seen both ends of it. Like I've seen people who knock flows in there for saying like, oh, it's like useless type stuff. And other people who I've seen are incredibly strong. They're incredibly athletic doing a lot of flows. I'm like, there's, there's room for both arguments in here on both, but I see, yeah. cause you've, you've done a lot of work with flows. Like how do you approach going into looking at the variations and teaching that? Is it something that you do kind of trial by error, like going in and practicing them, or is there a different type of process that you go into of looking at the variations? So we have a pretty darn systematic way mm-hmm. of going. I should say that I don't use, I don't do a ton of flow mm-hmm. in. So we define flow as by using a comparison to a chain. I, I made a joke, like the original kettlebell flow was a Turkish getup. It's just a series of exercises. Mm-hmm. We And I run, you know, back in 2009, we used to call this a chain. So mm-hmm. we delineate the difference between a chain and a flow in the, a chain is clean comma squat a flow will see the exercise blend into the next exercise Mm. so a clean before i get to the top i'm flowing into the squat now you can call it a a squat clean right a lot of a lot of combination two drills like a thruster has its own exercise name but really that's flowing a squat to a press and if we have three, four, maybe maybe five exercises, though the manual says once you get to five exercises, it's starting to get too damn cute and it's going to be impossible, near impossible to teach clients effectively. So I like to teach a chain first and then you teach how to flow the exercises together. So that's our first de- delineation between a chain and a flow. The second delineation is a flow oftentimes is more explorative from different ranges of motion, like rotation and different angles. Okay. Because traditionally I would say that everything's pretty like sagittal with pretty blocky. And so the flow just, you know, you're going in different ways. So those are the two ways that we talk about it. And I actually, I prefer, 
being that I taught animal flow, I didn't actually ever flow much. And we say in animal flow, there's free flow, which is like dim the lights, turn on Enya, and then just just feel it. Yeah. Explore. Yeah. Or you've got like call out flow, which is I'm making it up as I go and with a partner or with a group. Or there's a predetermined, it's like a dance, like you have choreography. Mm-hmm. So most of the flow you see with kettlebell videos that people are doing is just choreography. Occasionally people will do free flow. But free flow and choreography, I think, are relatively tough to use with clients. And so that's not something I choose to do very often. We, I, I spell out pretty specifically in the course. I'm like, flow is great for general conditioning. If you go into it and say, this is effectively my general S and C finisher, then great, right? That's fine. Right. How, is, how is that actually different? If, if you like, I used to end my booty camp kettlebell classes with the song Notorious Thugs, six minutes and 36 seconds. And I'd say, how many times can you go through this complex of five swings, five cleans, five squats, five presses? How many times can you get through that in this six minute and 36 seconds versus me saying, hey, I want you to go through this flow as many times as you can, Right. It's the same goddamn thing. Right. And yet we just have one group that's like, no, they're flowing. They're pussies. That can't work. And I'm like, no, no, it's the same thing. It's just more angles and and, and ways. So while I don't use it a ton, I think there's people like my instructor, Rick, he uses it really well. He's really intelligent with how he does it. In the one hour group class, you teach all the individual components and you do like a three by 10 of learning them. Mm-hmm. Then you have a, a period where you go from, Hey, step one to step two, we learn that step two to step three. We learn that step three to step four. We learn that. And then at the end, the last five to 10 minutes, you're practicing the whole sequence. And now you've got these subtle little changes of how you enter into the press or clean or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you've accomplished this cool thing in the singular session that you had not the ability to do before. And mm-hmm. so it gives this extra reward component of like, I accomplished something today, which yeah. I like. And there's there's a handful of places that do that across the country. Not, not that many. Uh, it is harder. You do need a more, you need clients that are better with the kettlebells. They've had more length of time with the yeah. kettlebells. There has to be a certain proficiency present before you can start being like, all right, now we're going to snatch into a windmill. Exactly. Uh, like, no, 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 no. That's not on day one. So that's why, you know, we teach, Hey, be able first, do this a lot, then progress to be athletic. And Mm -hmm. then finally you can progress to be adaptable. And the length of time it takes to go from one to the next is entirely dependent on what is the background of the client? What is their natural aptitude? How often are they training with you? Because if they train with you once a week, it's going to take a lot longer than if someone is training with me five days a week. Right. And, and so it's like, you got to be a coach and understand when it makes sense to, you have to identify, do they like just doing the basics and feeling the mm-hmm. sick muscle pump? Cool. Then you don't have to go to be athletic or be adaptable. Do they like learning new skills because that is a tangible way of feeling like you accomplish something within the fitness space? Mm-hmm. Yes. Then give them more stuff to be adaptable. And right. so it's this nice, I think we have it structured pretty well of everything's kind of following that flow. It's like, it, there's not a clear, do not pass, go and collect $200 before you do a kickstand snatch because sometimes 
that version is easier for one person than the bilateral, mm-hmm. but, but it's, it, it's formulated, I think fairly well. Yeah. I love how you have that distinction between the chains and the flows. You know, I kind of think like there's a sharp border on the change, like pause from there. Cause it is, I think it's a really good teaching tool for any coaches that work with people. You know, I've, I've heard you use a distinction in another interview of romantic versus practical. And yeah. I, I love that. Cause I think a lot of things that we see specifically in the Instagram error are very romantic. Like they look really cool, but to actually put that into a setting where you're teaching other people or you're making it that it's actually beneficial to you or other people, it might not be as practical from there. So I see like working on the chains as such a really good bridge between learning the basics and getting into more of like the athletic flows from there. So I really love, I'm sure you guys worked really hard on that systematic approach of going in. I remember I, for so long, I would teach swings first before kind of doing anything. And the last year I started working with people more on how to snatch a bell, you know, right off the bat, because it feels good. You get that overhead mobility work and it just is really badass. People feel really good when they do that too. Yeah. And kind of, it was almost a, it was a thought process in my head, Clifton, of like having this one way to do it so long and being like, am I going against the identity of what I have versus, well, what if I just try this and actually started trying it? People did really well. And then they learned how to do other things, you know, in the process, you know, too. So that's why I love what you're doing with the FKT because it's a system, especially for athleticism, which I think feels so good for people, but it has its systems and its borders, but it's also a little bit more free flowing. There's not like one specific, like you have to do this. And I think we just, we need more of that in the fitness industry in general of like, be a little more silly, like not so serious of what we're doing. Like we're, we're working with people to get them more confident and to get you know more fit. It should be a fun thing that people enjoy exploring these movements a lot more not thinking you have to do it this way and that's it. Yeah. A hundred percent. Couldn't say it any better. Like my, my big, uh, I shouldn't say it's my big influence because I've always been exceptionally goofy. Uh, but Mark Fisher fitness, if you're familiar yeah. with, with them, they do it. I mean, to the nth degree, I'm not quite that goofy, but like recently on my, my IG, you've seen, I got my American flag singlet. Yeah. Like this, this, I've taught classes <laughs> of that plenty of times. They, they won't let me teach it like that at lifetime. Uh, right. but, <laughs> but my own business, you know, that's why we called it booty camp. And we had booty sh- short, short Saturdays and different things like this, because it, it's like, yeah, this should be fun. Like imagine, imagine if you could just make people enjoy fitnessing as much as we do. Mm -hmm. Like that's the biggest benefit that coaches have is that we just like going to the gym. All right. Lifting weights is our fun activity. Some people, their fun activity is hiking. They don't like going to the gym. If we could figure out how they could just enjoy going and doing whatever it is, let them enjoy the thing. Yeah. Oh, it, I, I remember, uh, I remember the last studio I was at, we would do like this finisher and we would just roll the dice at the end of what we were doing. And one of them was hula hoops. Yeah. And I remember when we did hula hoops and people are going to, first off, you realize some people are amazing at hula hoops that you wouldn't expect. And yeah. then others is like, what the heck is going on? But it's just a fun thing to do. So yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, Mark Fisher's done an amazing job with his unicorn program there. Um, I just had Jen Broxterman, who's a has prosper nutrition does all nutrition coaching is everything with her is a game like makes it a game i'm like this is such a beautiful thing because 
as we said, it's like taking the seriousness out of this stuff. Like we know that we need to get in better health. People know that they're maybe in bad shape and they need to do something about it. Make it fun. You're going to get a lot more buy-in from it. So I think that's perfect. Cool. Clifton, dude, this has been an absolute blast. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, you know sharing your philosophies and the programs that you're doing. So I love all the work that you're doing. So again, really appreciate it, man. Well, appreciate having me. Absolutely. So if people want to check out FKT, all the work, I know you got certs that are coming up, new programs and stuff. What's the best place that they can go and check that out? The more professional one is going to be at functional kettlebell training, one word on Instagram. That's the that lists our train heroic monthly program. It it's a new five-day program every three weeks. So it repeats for three weeks. And then it's a new thing. It's two strength forward days, two conditioning forward days, one optional mobility day. It's all body weight and kettlebell. You'll, I promise you'll do new kettlebell stuff in there. And then the, it lists our, our kettlebell certifications. And next year, you know, this year we did 16 of them. Uh, next year, we're probably going to do 30. And awesome. yeah, pretty excited about it. There's four of us teaching it now. And uh, that'll be great. So there, and then if you want shenanigans at Clifton Harsky is my Instagram, um, a little more loosey goosey comical in there. Never know. One of my this. favorite follows. If you guys don't follow <laughs> Clifton, go follow Clifton. So awesome, brother. Thank you so much listeners. Thank you so much for connecting. I'll see you on the next one. Peace. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you found some great value here. And if you like this episode, please drop a comment and leave us a five-star rating and review. It does more to build the show than you could imagine. And do not forget to check out and join the Strength Connection Facebook group. In this group, I share the biggest takeaways and lessons from these amazing conversations, as well as training and strength tips for pursuing mastery and fulfillment in life. It's, this group is filled with individuals looking to take full control over their strength, and it's the perfect space to explore new ideas and to share your journey. And you'll also get exclusive access to the Strength Connection Mastery Seminars. It's a deep dive into the physical, mental, and spiritual training that you can begin using immediately. So do not wait. Go now. Seriously, go. All right, much love to you. Thank you so much, and I'll catch you on the next one.